This is the Answer Your Unique Calling podcast. This podcast provides tips, tools, and inspiring stories for creating clarity around your calling, opening your heart to infinite possibilities, and enabling you to have the greatest impact on the world. I'm Julian Crossenhill, a certified spiritual life coach, meditation teacher, human design specialist, and founder of Pre-Survenana. And most recently, I've joined the faculty at Starseed Academy Coach Training. It's my mission to teach and guide others in living a spiritually aligned life that answers their unique calling. Welcome, and thanks for listening. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Answering Your Unique Calling. I'm your host, Julian Crossenhill, and on today's episode, I'm going to be answering some questions about human design. So through my social media and my website, I had put out a call for questions on social media, and I'm going to address those questions today and go kind of in depth. So I don't have a lot of questions that need answered today, but there's a lot of good, juicy material here. So let's get right into it. So the first question that I received came through Instagram. And the question was, what centers are involved in attracting money or what centers are involved in money? So this is a really great question. And the answer, the the, the sort of long and, and cheeky answer is all of them. And let me explain that a little bit. All of our centers, particularly our openness, leads to conditioning and conditioning around money is really an important aspect of how we treat money, how we feel about money and how we manifest and and use our money. Our money story often incorporates attitudes and beliefs and thoughts about money that we received from our parents. When we were growing up, we were heavily influenced by how our parents treated and reacted to money. And so Our openness in any of our centers is going to heavily influence that. But more than that, there's the the splenic center with its survival fears, the root center with its pressure and its stress. You've got the ajna and the the ajna and the head center, which influence our thoughts, which of course Our thoughts influence our feelings in the solar plexus, and our feelings calibrate our magnetic monopole in the G-center, which is what draws experience and and opportunities to us. It's how we we manifest. It's sort of the driver of our our vehicle, if you will. But I think if you want to really focus on centers and deconditioned centers that are going to have the most impact on your money, there's really three that I would say focus on. And the first one is the root center. And the reason I say the root center is a lot of us experience a great deal of pressure and stress around money. We always feel like there's not enough money in the time that we need it. That money's not arriving on time. We've got deadlines for bills and rent and different things that have to be paid in a certain time. And so we receive a lot of conditioning in our root center around this idea of timeliness of money. We receive a lot of conditioning and pressure and stress. And if we want to really learn to trust in source to bring money to us, if we want to really learn to believe and trust in our ability to manifest our needs, 
the first thing we need to do is some energetic healing and deconditioning in that route. Because that stress and pressure leads us to doubt. It leads us to taking frantic action that is actually counterproductive and is sending the message to the universe that we don't trust or believe in our ability to source money or to manifest money. And so the root center is one of the first places that I would begin working on the process of deconditioning, getting out of that stress mode, getting out of that hurried, frantic action is going to be key to really manifesting money in an easy and free and flowing way. The second center I would work on is the spleen. And the splenic center is the source of our survival intuition. And what that means is that the spleen creates pulses of intuition that are intended to keep us safe, to help us survive. So the splenic center is really obsessed with these ideas of survival of what do we need to do to be to be safe to be secure to be stable and the splenic center is the center that really drives a lot of our survival fears and some of these fears don't seem like they're tied to survival but in our evolutionary past we're very tied to it so for instance the fear of failure the fear of the future the fear of rejection these are all core fears that live in the splenic center that really can drive our ability or inability to manifest money in, in a timely way. And money is very tied to security and survival. If we can't pay the rent, if we can't buy food, how do we survive? And so the splenic center is, is the next center that would really say you need to decondition if you want to experience more ease and flow and freedom with your money. And then finally, I would say the heart center. And that may surprise some people that I'm saying the heart center, but the heart center is tied to our worthiness, our sense of worth. And if we really want to believe that we have a divine right to be here, if we have a divine right to the things that we desire, to having what we really truly want to manifest in the world, we need to work on the issues of worthiness. We have to feel worthy of that divine right. We have to feel worthy of being here. We have to feel worthy of receiving what we desire. And we have to feel worthy of the price that we ask for our services, whether it's whether we're working in a regular traditional type of work environment and we're negotiating our salary, we need to feel worthy to ask for what we desire to make. Or if we're a spiritual business owner or entrepreneur, we need to feel worthy of what we're charging. And the heart center is really the area where we hold a lot of conditioning around our worth. So I would say if you really want to focus on centers around your money, work on the root, the spleen, and the heart center. Okay, so moving on to the next question. The next question, and I think this is going to be one of the long ones because it kind of brought up a lot of unrelated things to the question that I really want to talk about. And the question is, how do projectors survive capitalism? And, you know, it's a little tongue in cheek. But let's just start by saying, first of all, I think we can all agree that capitalism is broken. And I'm not saying that capitalism itself is bad. I'm saying that the way we practice capitalism today is broken. We focus so much on competition and on unlimited growth, which are both unsustainable approaches to capitalism. So 
the first thing I'm going to say is projectors. We really need you to guide the rest of us in reinventing capitalism, in realigning capitalism. We need to be focusing more on collaboration and the ways that we're all better together. And projectors, you are ideally situated. You are ideally designed to help us do that. And here's why. The quantum purpose of a projector is to anchor the energetic template of what we're creating as a collective. You are designed to be guides and advisors and managers. You're designed to delegate and enlist the other types to creating the reality of the energetic template that we're all holding. And so that means that projectors, you are ideally situated to help guide the other types into realigning capitalism in a more healthy and balanced way. And the way that you can do this is by getting involved in that sort of guiding and advising role. You're really designed to sort of delegate and move the generators into action. And so because a healthy capitalism is one that really fosters more collaboration, then the projector role is going to be really about creating that collaboration, about guiding that collaboration about finding those invitations to collaborate and then delegating and advising and managing and moving things forward as projectors are, are talented to do. I would say that the other aspect for projectors is obviously you don't have the energy as a non-sacral being to work a nine to five job, which of course makes it very challenging for projectors in our current work world and in capitalism as the way we currently experience it. So in that case, I think it's really important for projectors to invent their own non-traditional work style. And the same goes for manifestors. You need to find work that works for you. And often that means entrepreneurship, unfortunately. It's hard to find jobs that are willing to accommodate the energy cycles that projectors and manifestors have and that non-sacral energy. It's it's better now since the pandemic where many of us work from home, we have more flexible hours. If a projector wants to go take a nap in the day, they can do it. But in the long term, I really think that projectors need to invent their own non-traditional work style and whatever that looks like. And maybe that looks like doing a little work in the morning, resting in the afternoon, doing some work in the afternoon, resting, doing some a little bit in the evening, whatever really fits for them. Maybe it means only working three days a week. That's really the key for projectors is to find that. So I have a free a free course, mini course, I'll call it, on my website. And it's the Human Design Wealth Creation Keys. And you can find that at priestofinana.com. Um, I think it's wealth creation key, wealth-creation keys. I'll double check the URL and put it in the description of this podcast so that you can go find that. Um, go find that and watch it because there are some tips for projectors about creating wealth in a sustainable and healthy way. And it talks about creating this non-traditional work style, delegating to the generators and enlisting the generators, creating passive income. It talks about all of these things that are going to feel really good and aligned to a projector. So you definitely want to look at that. The thing that really is coming up for me, though, in talking about this topic is I want to talk about non-sacral pro projectors in general, because there's a lot of misinformation out there about human design. And one of the 
One of the problems with human design that I've recently been talking about is that it gets very rules-based. People are approaching human design from the mind. They're analyzing and people are sitting there. And let me just tell you, if you're sitting there overthinking whether you're applying your strategy, you are already doing it wrong because you are in the mind. You are, and the mind is not the authority. We really need to learn in our meditation to drop into the body and listen to the body wisdom because that's really what human design is designed around is feeling those pulses and the energy in our physical form and allowing those authorities that are based on our physicality and on our energetic design to guide us. So if you're sitting there thinking, have I waited for the invitation? Am I responding? Whatever your authority, whatever your strategy is, if you're spending a lot of time over rotating, trying to think about your strategy, you're already doing it wrong. And I think that a lot of people approach human design from this approach of it being very rules-based. You've got to do it this way and this way and this way, and it causes people to overthink their design. And human design was meant to be lived. It was meant to be an experiment that we try different things and we learn about our strategy through feeling it in our body and through what works and doesn't work in our, in our lived experience. And people are taking that and they're setting up rules around human design and telling people do it this way. So I saw an article recently by a very well-known human design person on, on social media who said manifestors needed to sleep 10 hours a day. And I just want to say there is no hard and fast rule to that. And why would manifestors specifically need to sleep 10 hours as opposed to other non-sacral types like projectors and reflectors? So the first problem I have with a lot of these approaches to human design is they make these arbitrary rules that aren't based on raw Ra's work. And they apply them to say manifestors. And so it's very inconsistent because really why would a manifestor be any different in their energy than any other non-sacral being? And so not to mention science has taught us or told us that the ideal amount of sleep for humans is seven to eight hours and that more than that can actually lead to cognitive decline. So there's actual physical problems with resting that much. And also, when we talk it when Ra talked about rest and sacral energy, rest doesn't necessarily mean sleep. There's this idea that manifestors need to sleep all the time. Rest can just mean reading a book, doodling in a notepad. It rest is just taking time away from work. It is doing something you enjoy that doesn't take a lot of energy. And so we need to rethink what rest means in terms of human design, because I think it has gotten way carried away. The other thing I've seen a lot about is this idea of a manifestor rest cycle, right? And everyone who's been following popular human design people on, on Instagram or other social media knows that manifestors go through a creative cycle and then they have this rest cycle where all they want to do is sleep and rest and they can't work and all of this other nonsense. So manifestors, why are you letting people dictate rules to you that are taking away your power? That's my question for you, because that is couldn't be further from the truth. The First of all, if manifestors would have, have a rest cycle, why wouldn't projectors or reflectors? They're non-sacral beings as well. So people are taking non-sacral and they're turning it into this disempowering thing. The point of non-sacral beings 
is that their energy is inconsistent. It's not always there when they need it. They're not designed to work steadily nine to five because their energy ebbs and flows. Rather than rules about a manifestor rest cycle and you need to nap every day and, and not do anything for, for a week or a month or however long it is, the reason that, that manifestors are being told this is because most, most non-sacral beings, projectors, reflectors, manifestors, all of them are burnout. And the reason is that when you have a non-sacral, when you are a non-sacral being, when you have an undefined sacral, there is an extreme amount of conditioning in the sacral because the majority of the population are sacral beings. They are generators and manifesting generators. Our whole society and our whole approach to work is built around sacral beings. There is a tremendous amount of conditioning in our sacral center for those people who have an undefined sacral. And as a result of that, one of the challenges of being a non-sacral being is knowing when enough is enough. And most people in doing their working with their human design have not learned to do that. They have not learned to listen to their body and say, this is enough, I'm tired, I need to rest. They push themselves more than they should. And as a result, the reason that this rest cycle and this idea of sleeping 10 hours and all of these things appeal so much to, to non-sacral beings who, who read it or see it on the, on the internet and why it resonates is because most non-sacral beings are burnout. They haven't listened to their body and said, this is enough and taken the time to make the rest. They're not listening to their body. And likewise, non-sacral beings who are listening to these arbitrary pronouncements about a rest cycle or about sleeping 10 hours a day or whatever are not listening to their body either because their sacral energy is not that fickle. It's inconsistent, but it's not that it's never there. So sacral energy is going to be there. It's just not going to be there all the time, like a generator or a manifesting generator. And so projectors and manifestors and reflectors need to invent their own style of work. They need to find a non-traditional work style that supports the ebb and flow of their energy. And the first thing that they need to do before they can do that is let go of arbitrary rules about rest and work and listen to their damn bodies. Connect to your body and listen to it. Do you feel tired? Do you feel like you're winding down? Then take a break and rest. Do you feel energized? Do you feel like you want to create something? Do you feel like you're ready to do some work? Then do it. Whether you're a rest cycle or not, listen to your body and listen to your sacral because it is going to be your guide. Some days it's going to be there and be very strong and some days it's not. And the biggest challenge for non-sacral types is to learn when enough is enough. And if you're not, if you're relying on arbitrary pronouncements about rest cycles and sleeping 10 hours in these things, you're not doing the work of living the experiment of your human design. Okay, so I'm going to get off my soapbox on that. I think I've said enough there. But if anyone has any more questions on that or would like a human design coaching session to really tap into that a little more, please feel free to, to reach out through my social media or on my website. So the other question that often comes up and I've had asked in response to this podcast, and this is going to be the last one, um, is can my human design be wrong? And so I think that there's really two, two particular answers here. And I want to talk about two very distinct scenarios. So when most 
likely the reason people are asking me, can my human design be wrong, is that they have their human design and it isn't resonating for them. And there's basically a couple of reasons that that can be. And so I want to talk through the, the three or four reasons that someone's human design doesn't resonate for them. And can my human design be wrong? So first of all, it absolutely can be wrong if your birth information that was used to, to calculate your chart was incorrect. So the first thing I tell clients who ask me, can my design be wrong? Because it just it doesn't resonate for me. I don't feel that way. I, I don't feel that. Is check your birth information. Make sure you've got the right date and time and place. Because often when people have the wrong human design or they feel don't feel connected to their human design, they've got the wrong birth information. Their birth date's off by a few hours or something like that, and it has shifted their design slightly. So that would be the first thing is check your birth information because you could be looking at the wrong design if you had the wrong birth information. The second reason that people don't resonate with their design is perhaps part of their design are defined in their unconscious portion of their design. So for instance, I have an emotional authority and it's uh, my solar plexus is unconsciously defined. So it takes a little more effort for me to really get in touch with my emotional wave because it's un- it's a little less conscious. It's a little less front and center for me. And so if you have aspects of your design that are defined in the unconscious areas, it's going to take more work for you to really tune into it. So on a very surface conscious level of just kind of looking at it and hearing it, you it may not resonate for you. And it's going to require digging a little deeper if it's unconsciously defined. So the third reason that I think motivates people to ask this question, can my human design be wrong, is that they're listening to the wrong people. They're approaching it from a very mind thing, and they're being told all of these things and all of these rules about their design. You can't do this. You can't do that. You have to do it this way. You have to do it that way. And it's a lot of must and must. It's required, and you have to, and you must, and don't and all of these things it's very rules based and it feels very limiting it feels very disempowering and that causes people to sort of rip out like be repulsed by their human design because now they've been told that there's all these things they can't do and they don't have this and they don't have that and they have to sleep 10 hours in a day and all of these ridiculous things and that doesn't resonate for them it feels disempowering it feels limiting And so for those people, it's really more about connecting them to, first of all, how does their design feel in their body? How do they respond to that? And then also experiment with your design. There are no hard and fast rules. Yes, your strategy is there to help you align your actions to divine timing. But if you don't want to follow your strategy, if you want to try something different, try it. Compare the results. Look at what happens when you follow your strategy and what happens when you don't. Sometimes there are going to be situations where waiting for your strategy, waiting for your authority might not be right. For instance, reflectors, their strategy is to wait for 28 days. How many things can you really wait 28 days to decide? So for reflectors, I say, do follow your strategy for the big stuff, you know, big purchases, new jobs, new relationships, where you buy your house, like use your strategy for the really huge stuff. And for the small stuff, follow what feels good to you or use 
use a sounding board of people that you really trust. And remember that when you're using a sounding board, whether you're a projector or a reflector, and you're and you're using environmental or, or mental authority where you have a group of people who feel really good and aligned to you and you, you feel safe and, and comfortable with them, and you're using your sounding board as an authority, they're not there to tell you what to do. They're there for you to talk through what you're thinking about doing and hear your own words being being spoken. It's it's there for you to sort of sound off and hear yourself because then you're going to get clarity in that process. So just keep that in mind. They're not there to tell you what to do. So, you know, reflectors and projectors can do this where they sort of lean into their strategy for the big stuff and then not sweat the small stuff so much. And I really think that that applies to all of the types. You know, do manifestors really need to inform every little thing like, hey, I'm going to eat this piece of pie? No. Do generators need to wait to respond to everything? No. I think that human design is supposed to be an experiment. So take your strategy, take your authority, take the different aspects of your human design and have fun with it. Experiment. The important thing is to connect to the body and feel your design in your body and to you know, keep a journal or some way of really recording your successes with living your design. Some things are going to work out. There have been times that I have followed my strategy and my authority to the letter and things didn't work out. And so it's going to be an experiment. It's, there's, it's not a guarantee and it's not a quick fix. It's not like I take this set of rules for my human design and now everything's going to be perfect in my life. That's not how human design works. And I think that there are people who are vastly overselling human design's ability to be a fast fix for people. There's a lot more work that goes into understanding your human design in a physical embodied way versus just understanding it in a mental way. So most of my clients go on a journey with me when they start to work with their human design. And it usually starts with a reading, which is very mental. It's just learning about their design and understanding what it is, what it is, how it operates, and these kinds of things, so that they have the knowledge that they need to start to experiment with their design. And then they go a little deeper. Maybe they do a second reading that's more of an in-depth, because I have two layers of readings. I have one for people sort of new, and I have one that goes a lot deeper. And then we go deeper, and we talk deeper about their design, and they gain more knowledge about it. And then maybe they do a couple coaching sessions where we start to do some exercises. We meditate, we feel into the body, we talk about different things that have worked and haven't worked with their design. And that's really the process that people need to go through with their human design is really, it is a it is multi-layered, is peeling back the layers like an onion. And the number one thing to remember about all of human design is human design is a series of archetypes. And they are archetypes in the collective unconscious, and we all have access to all of the archetypes. We just experience them differently. So experiment with those archetypes, learn to recognize those archetypes, and learn how they serve you and work in your life. And you will find that human design will bring you more benefit than it does when you just sort of rotely follow a set of mental rules. Bright blessings.
this has been the Answer Your Unique Calling podcast with your host, Julian Crossan-Hill, produced by Priest of Inanna, LLC. You can find us on priestofinanna.com. That's priestofinanna, I-N-A-N-N-A.com, or on Instagram at priestofinanna.